0: How you guys doing? Good to see you. Getting a little toasty, huh? Not too bad yet. We'll try to keep it at 30 minutes so you guys don't get crazy. A little warm. How long before we're wishing it was 100 degrees? You know, is it like a month from now? Maybe two months, right? Like, gosh, remember it was 100. I would take that right now. If you think it's hot, wait for the sermon, all right? Chapter two, we're starting chapter two. Congratulations, by the way. We're about to pour on the heat. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. I'm just kidding. It won't be that. It won't be that intense. I mean, it could be. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm sorry I missed the barbecue last week. I had a baby uh, a a week ago or something. Thank you. It was nothing. I just stood there. So I'll tell Holly you clapped for her. yeah, anyways, I heard it was awesome. I heard it was better than the first barbecue. Actually, and the first barbecue was epic. We had a blast. So, like, nice job, everybody who helped out with that. And, and we'll have another one, I think, in a month or so. And, uh, and try to take advantage of the good weather before it's gone. So, anyways, let me start with um, a question for us. Let me try to remember what my question is. Ah. Do you remember where you came from? Or have you forgotten where you came from? As Christians, do you remember where you came from? Do you remember what you were saved from? Or have you forgotten? That, that idea, that phrase, remember where you came from, it's important. It's, it's powerful. It's what's used in, in culture and in, in society. The great poet and singer, one of Jesse's favorite, uh, Jennifer Lopez. I'm going to forget. I thought I could remember this. She wrote a song in 2002. It's it's um it's an interesting song. You get stuck in your head. Don't be fooled by the rocks that I got. Right, Jesse, do you want to <laughs> sing the rest of this? I'm still I'm still Jenny from the block. Used to have a little, now I got a lot. No matter where I go, I know where I came from. The Bronx apparently is where she came from. And she's saying that so she can tell people she's still down to earth, right? Fame hasn't, uh, hasn't made her crazy. But has it? I don't know. Remember where you came from. This is the idea that, we, that, we're, uh, that we're reading about in the beginning of chapter 2. It's a powerful idea. It, remember where you came from helps you know where you are, right? It gives you perspective to look back on your life and say, Gosh, remember back when? It helps you to understand where you are. I've been doing this lately with my kids. I just had number four, and so I think back to these other kids and think we're looking at baby pictures from the other three, and we're comparing how they look to each other. And It's like I cannot believe that Henry and Lucy and Penny are this big now. They were just this tiny little baby just like Charlie is right now. And it's crazy to remember where they came from and to, to look at where they are now. You can do this with a business too. we got business owners here. You think back fondly of how the business was started. You know, it's just a few of us. We were just getting going. Look at us now if you're fortunate enough to have your business grow. Man, it's, it's, it's awesome. I cannot believe it's double the size or it's ten times the size, whatever it is. It gives you perspective to look back, to help you see where you are now. And it can also keep you from going back to the old ways if the old days were unpleasant. You think about the child of the alcoholic, who won't touch a drink, who won't sniff a drink, because why? They remember where they came from. I had dinner with a neighbor the other day, and and I offered him a beer, and he's like, no, no. Don't touch the stuff. No way. I think his dad or his brother, I forget who, had a horrible drinking problem. Remembering where he came from, remembering what he experienced is not only helping him understand where he is today, it, it, it keeps him from going back to what he experienced. That's what Paul is doing in chapter 2, verses 1. Okay, Chapter 2 is quite the contrast to chapter 1. I don't know if you remember chapter 1. We've been in it a long time. Just to give you some perspective, we preached through the entire book of Galatians last summer in a shorter amount of time than we preached through the first chapter of Ephesians this summer. Nothing wrong with Galatians. It's just that Ephesians chapter 1 is so rich. It's so deep. It's so meaty. It's so beefy. It's got so much doctrine and theology. We don't want to just like skip over a bunch of stuff. We're trying to like, trying to soak up as much of this stuff as we can. We love it. We want to just piece it and, and, try, to, and try to listen to all the commentaries and, and read and, and try to understand exactly what Paul is doing. And what's he doing in chapter one? He's describing the indescribable God that we love and serve. He's indescribable, but Paul is doing his best to, do, to describe him and doing a fantastic job. He starts in chapter 1 with this great blessing, this high, lofty praise of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? This, this high and lofty place. He's, he starts with a blessing, and then he ends chapter 1 after going through a bunch of stuff, with the, the greatness of his power, the immeasurable power of God. This is how Paul starts Ephesians, this, this grand, lofty description of God, and then we get to chapter 2, and we like fall off a cliff. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We go from this high, great uh, uh, description of God to the description of us, and it's, it's brutal. He's describing the depth of Of our depravity and he's reminding us of where we came from if you uh, if you put up verse 1 we can kind of piece through this a little bit and you were dead excuse me and you were dead in your trespasses and sins it's past tense he's saying you were dead he's talking to Christians in Ephesus, He's talking to us as Christians. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And at the end of verse 3, I'm only covering verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's reminding us that it was our nature that was sinful. We were born sinful. This is important to understand. We need to be reminded of our sinful nature. We're not born good and then go bad, we were born bad, we were born evil. Charlie, my little 10 day old Charlie, is sinful from birth. And not just because he peed on me the other day. Or he, he also pooped on his sister, which was just rotten. This is actually a funny story. So his, my uh, number three child, who used to be the youngest, uh, when we found out we were pregnant, which was a surprise, um, my oldest son, Henry, took Penny, who's number three, he used to be the youngest, took her aside and said, you know you're not gonna be the cute young one anymore, right? You believe that? A rotten little stinker, man. I heard them, I was like, what? That's so bad. So she's the one that got pooped on. So when he pooped on her, it was like, oh man, we needed a minute. She was she was beside herself. She was ticked off. The new baby the family is is already messing with her. We need to be reminded, just like this Ephesians, of our sinful nature. Okay, we read Psalm 51.5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's important to understand this. We're not good and then we go bad. We're not born even neutral or with a blank slate and then influenced towards evil. We're born evil, and it's important to know this because... you we can often forget where we came from, we can forget our sinful nature, and we can start to think, oh no, it's the environment, it's our surroundings, it's the, it's the things around us that influence us towards evil. That's it, that's it, that's not, I mean, that, that is, there is some truth to that. Those are issues, our environment can create issues for us, but the bigger issue, the, the one that Paul is dealing with, is our sinful nature. If you think it, the environment around you is the big, is the big problem. You're gonna think, oh, if I just rearrange the pieces, if I just get, uh, if I get my kids a good education, if I just, if we just fix the economics of the world, if we just put the right people in power, if the politics are right, then society will flourish, then we will get rid of a sinful, you know, suffering community. And that's not how it works. That is not the way that we're gonna fix the world. We are gonna fix the world by being reminded of our sinful nature. Sin is not external, sin is internal. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all else. And then Jesus backs him up in Matthew 15, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false false witness, and slander. The problem is not external. The problem is internal. Sin is within. And Paul is reminding us of this. And in particular, three different ways that our sinful nature can be led astray. These are things that have happened to us before we were Christians. These are still things that can plague us. Three different areas that he talks about. He talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. In verses uh, 1 through 3, he covers all three of those. Let's go through them. Let me reread the verse 1 so we can kind of do a run-up to what how he uh, mentions the world. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world. What is the world? I listened to a bunch of um, commentaries this week and I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones from the an English preacher from the 50s and he summed up the world as... Life without God. The world thinks it doesn't need God. The world doesn't want to depend on God. Someone else that my brother just just texted me this morning. I forget who this is. Uh, Sayers, I think. Says, Secularism is also another wor- another word for the world. Secularism is the attempt to create a system for human flourishing in which the presence of God is absent. We need to be reminded that our old nature, our sinful nature, which as Christians it, it does not exist anymore. We have a new self, it says in Colossians 3. Our old sinful nature can be led astray and we can follow the world. The secular world that says it doesn't need God. It doesn't want to depend on God. The world, especially the West, in our, in our country in particular, is all about the self-sufficient man. The independent man. The autonomous man, the prideful, the arrogant man that says, we are our own Lord and Savior. I'm not just talking about men. Obviously, mankind here does this. We look around at everything that we've created. We look around at the the world we live in and say, look at what we've done. A couple hundred years ago, it was a challenge just just to put food on the table. How hard is it to put food on the table now? Like You could be putting your feet up and be like, Uh, steak sandwich, you know, and it'll show up on your door. I can run my business from my phone. What do we need God for is what the world says. Why do we need him? We've got it all figured out. We are our, our own moral compass. We are our own Lord and Savior. I will determine what's right and what's wrong. This is the way of the world, the world that doesn't need God. John Mark Comer. He's a guy from Portland who's pretty influential and wrote an entire book on the world, the flesh and the devil. And I just gotta tell you a side note here. I read this book six weeks ago and I couldn't remember a thing from it. I'm so ticked. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I really wish I could uh, recall a bunch of stuff from this book because it's all about it. I know it was good. So I Googled summary of Live No Lies, which is the name of his book. And found a bunch of stuff just in two or three quick pages all the high points of of his book if you ever if somebody suggests a book to you or uh, you know someone recommends that you should read a book I recommend googling the summary of the book and if it's good if the summary is good then you can go deeper and read the whole book for yourself anyways side note there Comer says we're in danger of having a DIY faith okay well we're we're our own Lord and Savior. We'll choose what we believe. We'll choose our own religion, right? We, we'll take a mix of a little bit of Christianity. This is what the world is doing. We'll take a little bit of uh, individualism. We'll take a little bit of consumerism. We'll take uh, Maybe we'll take some secular ideas about sexuality, and we'll create our own little packaged religion. Like it's a, like, like we're picking from a menu, you know? Like, oh, uh, don't lie, cheat, and steal. That looks good. I'll take some of that. Like the golden rule is always cool. I'll, I'll do that. The rest of Christianity, I'm not, I'm not so sure about. I'll take a little bit of individualism, rugged individualism, right? Let's pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's how the country was formed. That's how we should continue. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to be self-dependent. So we'll do a little individualism. I mean, after all, God didn't God say uh, God helps those who help themselves? No, that's not what God said. God says the exact opposite of that. Take a little Christianity, a little individualism, a little bit of uh, consumerism. You know, if an, an entity or an organization doesn't uh, align with exactly all the values and the, the the things that I love, I'm gonna I'm gonna cancel them. I'm gonna leave them a terrible review. I'm gonna uh, trash talk them online. So we'll take a little consumerism and then, of course, sexuality, Christian sexuality, t- traditional values. It's so boring, right? I want to mix that up a little bit. Let's. Let's get more festive with sexuality. This is what the world does. It's creating its own religion. This is the secular religion. And if we follow the world, if we're not careful and we're not reminded of our sinful nature, that's likely to follow behind the world, which is life without God, that will lead to death, not life. John 17 says, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is life. Rejection of God is death. And we are dead in our trespasses when we reject God. Self-sufficiency, self-dependence, self-reliance, self-satisfaction, self-righteousness. There's no greater sin than this, Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Infinitely worse than sins of the flesh. We're all guilty of this. And we have a sinful nature that can lure us back into this. But we must be reminded that sinful nature is dead. We have a new life. But we need to be aware of what our sinful nature might might lure us into. The next one was the sins of the flesh. We talked about the sins of the world, the sins of the flesh. This comes from verse three. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Sins of the flesh. These are the animalistic sins. Our appetites, our desires, our passions of the body and the mind. This is hunger. This is thirst. This is pleasure. This is what our body wants to, wants to do. Are the, is hunger and thirst a bad thing? No. God gave us these desires. We have a, our, our, our stomach will growl when we're hungry so that we don't die, so that we will eat. Our mouth is dry so that we know we need to drink because we're thirsty. These are good desires, but what do we do? We jack them up, don't we? And we overemphasize our hunger and our thirst. We act like gluttons, and we eat everything in sight. We think, food, like, oh man, the great I had the greatest meal, and we talk about it as if it is our Lord and Savior. And we are so guilty of this in this country. We love food. I love food, unfortunately. Overlove it. Now that I'm 42 and the metabolism slowing down, this is not a good thing. My appetite hasn't slowed down, but my, actually my appetite has grown, I'm pretty sure, but my metabolism is slowing down. Hunger can become a passion and a desire of the flesh and left unchecked, it can become a problem. It can become sinful. Same with thirst. Whiskey has become popular now. And it's cool. I I love whiskey. I I love to to understand how this bottle of whiskey was made Is it a is it a four-year? Is it a 14-year? Is it a Tennessee whiskey? Is it a Kentucky bourbon? Is it double-barreled? Is it a rye? Whatever the, the thing is, but when we can spout off more facts about the whiskey that we're drinking than about the God that we serve Don't you think that might be a problem? Drinking is not wrong Getting drunk is wrong. When we sit down and we worship this bottle and we're happy to say, you know what, everybody makes mistakes. I'm going to drink this whole bottle. I'm going to get wasted with a buddy or whatever because we're going to celebrate this incredible bottle of whiskey. This is a problem. This is our sinful nature. Christians, you need to be reminded that's not you. That was the old you. You have a new you now. You have a new self. Don't fall back into those traps. That's what this reminder is for. Don't gratify those desires of the flesh. And then the last one, does it even need to be said? Sex, right? What a great thing that is. What a gift from God this is. But do we have a tendency to maybe over-desire that? The statistics show that like even in this room, 50% of people are struggling with with porn. Sex is is an obvious way that we will over-desire uh, the passions of our flesh this is a this is a product of our sinful nature that's not us anymore that's the old you that's not the new you the the passion says carrying out the desires of the body and the mind one way that we can help from from heading down this old road of our sinful nature is to catch these things in our minds before they become full-blown actions Okay? These things are thoughts before their actions, whether it's hunger, thirst, or, or pleasure. We need to catch these things. We need to be curating these things. We need to be thinking critically about what is, what is, first of all, what are we putting into our minds? What are we watching? What are we exposing ourselves to? That's a problem, but sometimes these things come naturally, right? We are... Pretty depraved individuals. These things can just show up. We need to catch these things as thoughts, confess them, do business with them, and get rid of them. John Mark Comer says one of the best ways to do this is in community, in isolation. If you're isolated, if you don't have anybody to talk to, if you don't have anybody to share this stuff with, that's where these thoughts grow and mature into full-fledged affairs, full-fledged actions that can destroy your life. In community, in relationship, with a group of guys or a group of gals, whoever. I listened to a, a podcast of Tim Keller the other day on that Mars Hill podcast, and and at the end of the on the end of the the show, uh, the guy I forget his name was asking Tim Keller, "How have you managed to stay so so? Um, I don't know." I don't want to say righteous, but like, how have you been able to, to maintain your ministry through your entire life? There's so many examples, like Driscoll, like James McDonald, like so many, like my dad ended his ministry. How are you able to do it for so long, for decades? And, and Keller's saying, listen, it's just a matter of, of, finding people to be accountable with the old school way of confession and repentance with people that you know and love people that you are close with you can confess this stuff and in relationship and community you can isolate the lie that something is going to make you happy and you can get rid of it this is how we do battle with these with these desires of the flesh and the lies come from the devil that's the last one the world the flesh and the devil It says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the devil is at work, man. We've done battle with him as Christians, but he's still lurking. He's powerful, he's crafty, he's skilled. We need to continue to do battle with the devil. You think about Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve. Was it the environment that was the problem with Adam? Was uh, was it the environment that caused him to sin or was it his sinful nature? The environment in the Garden of Eden was like heaven. The environment was certainly not the problem. And Adam was righteous before that sin. But what happened? In slither Satan to pose a few questions. Did God really say that? I think God just doesn't want you to know good and evil poses a question, puts thoughts and lies into his mind, into our minds, and that causes us to, to, uh, to go the wrong direction. That causes us to, to, to uh, get lured back into our sinful nature. The devil is powerful. The devil needs to be dealt with. We have battled with him as Christians, Christians, but we need to continue to do business with him, to battle against him. And the way you battle with, with Satan is not through the traditional war, right? Like hand-to-hand combat. We're not going to punch the devil in the face. The devil is using like a disinformation campaign, Comer says, right? It's, it's more like trying to pick the fake news out of your, your newsfeed or whatever. Thinking through, your, th- thinking through all these thoughts. Which one of these is a lie? Is, which one of these is not true? Am I going to be happy if I go outside my marriage and fulfill this, this fleshy desire? Am I going to be happy following the world? Is this really true? Like, like, this is how we do business with the devil, in relationship, in community. But let me tell you, the devil is more powerful than us. The devil is certainly more powerful than our weak, sinful nature. We are hopeless without God. We are are stuck before we met Jesus. But when we meet Jesus, things are different. We are susceptible to the world, the flesh, and the devil but God this is the first part of verse number 4 it's the greatest rebuttal to any problem we need to be reminded of the solution to our problem we are, we are weak, we are broken but God it says in verse 4 I don't want to read verse 4 because that's next week I don't want to steal anybody's thunder but God, if we think about chapter 1, we can think through what we learned in chapter 1. But God chose us out of the sinful nature, out of the sinful generation. But God adopted us out of that family into his own family. We need to be reminded of this. We have a sinful nature. But God redeemed us through the blood of his son. But God. God seals us with his Holy Spirit to the inheritance that's coming in the future. But God, but God enlightens the eyes of our hearts. But God helps us know what is the hope to which we've been called to. But God helps us know what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. But God has immeasurable, great power towards those us believe. More powerful than the devil. We are saved. I just have to read verse 4. I'm just going to do it. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's the solution to the problem. We need to be reminded of our sinful nature. We need to be reminded of where we are today. We need to stand here as Christians and look back to what we've been saved from so we can see where we're at, so we can see how far God has, has brought us, and so we don't end up back going down the same old roads that we've been on. This is how we renew our faith. This is how we grow in our faith. We, we look back and we remember what we've been saved from. I think about my own story, I'll just end with this, my own story of, of just being uh, in, de- in despair and in depression, living like a just ridiculous life. I did whatever I wanted, partied and, and, and screwed up so much. I felt so guilty. Do you know what, Do you know what helped me is actually forgetting my sin. This is, this is the other side to this. Sometimes when you're in the midst of the sin and the guilt is, is crushing you, you need to forget what lies behind and focus on the upward call of Christ Jesus. You have freedom to forget that if you're in the middle of something. But on the other side of that, those of us, most of us who are Christians and the, and the, and the depravity is in our, in, in our past, we actually need to go back and remember what we've been saved from. That's what Paul is doing to these Ephesians. Remember what you've been saved from so that you can see where you're at and so that you don't end up back in the, in the old way of the sinful nature.